Valentine Drive in Normal, Illinois. Oh, I like the name it of that. Is, it is. It was. Was a, that your first street? Yes, it okay. is my my the the only street. What's the name of your first pet? Uh, we had I might two. Be coming up with your stripper's name. <laughs> Something Valentine. It is well. The way I always heard it was your was your middle name and your oh. and the street you grew up on. So mine would be Leo Valentine. Ooh. So whatever you're about to come up with, I trump thee. <laughs> the Leo Valentine. Leo Valentine is Sounds done. Like a Chippendale dancer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Except for me, it'd be like the Chris Farley version. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Gem Junkies. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Brecken. And we're here today with uh, John Carter, the president of AGS. Hello, everybody. And uh, we're, we're actually pretty lucky to have John Carter with us because, like I was saying, you're kind of a big deal. The sitting president of AGS. We are at AGS Conclave right now. In are, Seattle, Washington. Yes. And so I'm honored that you took the time out of your day. Uh, to come and talk to us. This is an extreme honor, and you could have chosen much more worthy guests than me to be on your esteemed Never. podcast. You're so. exciting. I don't know about that. You're but, so you know, exciting. Not, not without the MC to make fun of me live. But. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Now, if you don't know John Carter or AGS, John Carter is the Beyonce, right? <laughs> that's that's what was just said. According, according, to, according to I am Zeph. the Beyonce of AGS, which I, I didn't know how to take that or yeah, where he like, was going uh, with it, but. All the single ladies. I do. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what was going through my head. Yeah, not exactly. nearly as cool as Beyonce. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so we thought it would be kind of fun to get to know John a little bit better and also see how you got your start in this crazy industry that we're in. Uh, one of the questions that Jonathan and I always ask every person we interview is what is your first memory of jewelry? First memory. When you were a kid, when you were a teenager, what was it? Oh yeah, okay. So before my career, because yeah. I didn't, I didn't start in the business. I'm not, I'm not in a family business, you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm a third generation non-family owner, so I'm the only one in my family in the jewelry industry. Uh, for me, it was probably my grandmother's big costume jewelry. You mm-hmm. know, I had this. I had this grandmother. Uh, her name. Her name was Angeline Josephine Revolta. Wow. And we called her, yeah. So we called her Grandma Perk because she was from a very small town in Michigan called Perkins, Michigan. So we called her Grandma Perk. And Perk had these amazing costume brooches and, and by, by amazing, I just mean big and sparkly. I don't, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't when mean nice costumes. Sparkly yeah. is amazing when you're yeah. yeah. We're talking, you know, dime store type, uh, uh, things, but she was so proud of them and she would insist it to anybody who asked that they were, they were genuine. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as a kid, I'm the youngest of, of six kids and, and I'm by far the youngest of my whole network of cousins and things like that. So I, always would see these big brooches and things on grandma perk and think that they were just big and sparkly. And that's what I associated jewelry with for a very long time. Uh, until, you know, probably, I don't know, excuse me, until maybe middle school or something like that, where I would notice that, Oh, my mom didn't wear a big garish jewelry like that. You know, she, (laughs) she, she wore, my mom was a big fan of, you know, birthstone jewelry a little more conservative yeah a little bit more conservative uh and so uh that really that really was it i remember her taking my grandmother my mom my grandmother lived with us for a long time Mm -hmm. uh she was uh uh for maybe maybe a decade or so she lived with us as i was growing up from the barely the age of 
oh, seven or eight till, you know, until she passed away. And uh, my mom took her one day. She wanted to buy a really nice cocktail ring. Remember in the eighties, cocktail rings yeah. sort of thing, which are the big waterfall rings and the, Oh yeah. You know, they're uh, coming back. Yeah. They're back, baby. Yeah. And, uh, they, it was a big deal for my grandmother to go to the jewelry store in Bloomington. Cause remember she wasn't from there. She was from up North and they went and bought her this actually really even, you know, by today's standards this is a beautiful cocktail ring. And found out years later that they got that from Jack Lewis Jewelers. And Are so you that, serious? Yeah, so that's still that's in that's in my family. That was the first piece in my that was passed down to my my mother that I could say you know was like a passed down piece that came through the lineage of, awesome. of my my store. Yeah. So I thought that, that's that was crazy. Pretty cool. It's just, it's crazy how the world works. Yep. So tell us about Jack Lewis Jewelers. Yeah. How did you get your start? in the industry to end up where you are today. So I started, I was working in high school at a, um, at our local restaurant and I went to the Catholic school in town. I went to 12 years of Catholic education Mm -hmm. and I went to a school in town called central Catholic. And at that time, so we had two stores, Jack Lewis did like most old jewelry stores. We had a downtown store. Uh-huh. And then in the eighties, what did you do? You had a mall store yeah, because right? you had to preserve market share and you had to, yeah. you know. yeah. and so, uh, when I was a junior in high school at that time, the reason I bring that up is the downtown store was very close to central Catholic. And so for decades, that store would hire local high school kids to come over after high school to do the engraving or mail or take out the trash. Yeah. And I was at school one day and my counselor would come, uh, came up to me and said, Carter, do you have a job? And I said, yeah, but I hate it. You know, I was bussing tables. How how Uh awesome is that when you're 15? It's not not awesome. Just, it's not fun. And she said, how do you want to, what would you think about working at a jewelry store? And I said, yeah, that sounds easier. You know, that sounds is cool. And, uh, you know, I like not to do Not as messy. Not as messy. I like to get yeah. dressed up at that time. Seemed like I could wear a tie and that, mm-hmm. that was kind of cool. And that was it. So I went in and, and did an interview and, and, and. It could have been good with the ladies too. I mean, were you thinking about that? Like, <laughs> high school, high jewelry school, store. You know, in retrospect, I am ladies. sure that crossed my 15 year old mind <laughs> that I could, I could impress all the ladies yeah. at Central Catholic. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> you know. And and there was an element of that. I am quite sure I used that over yeah. over the course of the years. Me too. Yeah, who didn't? You <laughs> yeah. know, I mean, that's that's the you grow up in the industry. That is an advantage. That is a rite of passage as a young man in this yeah. trade. You know, yeah. and um, that all started because we had this relationship with the high school where we would say we could go to the 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 principal or the counselors and we could say we need a good kid mm-hmm. to work at this store. And you can imagine, I mean, it's very important, right? You have to have a good kid to work yeah. around thousands of dollars of jewelry. Yeah. And I was the good kid that she thought enough of me to do that. Her recommendation was all I needed. I went in for a formality of an interview and they, they hired me. A lady by the name of Sally hired me who still works at Jack Lewis Jewelers. And really? Yeah. She hired wow. me to work at the mall store. And in the interview, I was kind of told, um, you're just going to come in. You're going to do registered mail. Sure, you had Jonathan. You had your bout of that in the family yeah, business, yeah. right? We all we all know that. I still can remember names and addresses of the vendors <laughs> that we sent things to most frequently. And and uh, I came in to work my first day, looking all dapper, fifteen year old John Carter, looking good, shirt and tie. And I said, "Okay, here you go. Here's how you do the mail. Here's how you do a couple, couple watch batteries." And that probably got me to about. 
five thirty or six o'clock. Mall closes at nine. And they said, I said, okay, well, you know, what now? And they said, well, you just sit here and wait, wait for customers to come in. <laughs> and I said, what? You're going to, I'm working <laughs> the sales counter? Yeah. Didn't you got a know. promotion. Yeah. <laughs> and they said, and they just kind of looked at me like I had two heads and they said, yeah. And they immediately put me at the watch counter. I guess I must have gravitated towards that and loved that right away. Mm-hmm. Working yeah. with high end watches, uh, and I don't know, there was just something in my brain that just clicked on with watches. And so I continued to work at Jack Lewis through that. That was, you know, that was probably in the early fall. I worked my first Christmas that year. And as a 15 year old, remember I told you I thought it would be like an easy job. I think I averaged, and it was a mall. I think I averaged 90 hours a week for that first Christmas. How did you do that with school? Uh, it was Christmas break. Okay. And so as soon as I went on Christmas break, it was just worked all the time. Why not? And it was, and I loved it. I look back and don't remember, I I think 15 year old, you don't probably feel the same exhaustion as 44 year old me does. Um, but I, I, I look back on that and that was a real character building Christmas for me because I learned how to work with the general public and answer questions that I didn't know the answer to and learned that it was okay to ask. Yeah. And I still sold things because, you know, you guys know me well enough over the years that it's kind of my personality just to roll with it, roll with it. And yeah. I'm not going to make things up. I hope not generally, <laughs> you know, that, I'm not saying I have not done that, but <laughs> sure, sure. You but know, your 15 year old self. Yeah. Learned, and I just, learned how to answer it, was, it was just about building rapport with the customers. And I loved that and, yeah. the, and, and, and helping them. And it kept you out of trouble. Because you were working. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, I'm the youngest of six kids and I watched my brothers and sisters probably get into the trouble that I never wanted to put my parents through. So I was always kind of. You were the good kid. It's not that I was a boy (laughs) scout because I was still the class clown. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would would occasionally probably get told to sit down or or shut up or go to the principal's office. But no serious trouble or anything. I didn't drink in high school or college. And so I don't know that I would have gotten in trouble if it wasn't for that job. But it definitely taught me conversations with adults at a young age. And that was a really important lesson for me. Because that's one of the hard things for a 15-year-old is is – you don't get that many act- interactions with adults that are real, that aren't your parents telling you, John, go take out the trash. Right? Exactly. You only exactly. have so much interaction. It's either your teachers, right. uh, your church, mm-hmm. and your parents and yep. relatives. Like Outside of that, you don't get that interaction with, with adults. So, yeah, that's that had to be a... It was, and it is was it, also trusting of them too to buy jewelry from a fifteen-year-old. <laughs> yeah, and I don't, you know, I don't look back. I couldn't tell you. You know, I would love to go back and and, and tell you what my sales yeah. were. That Check Christmas. your numbers. <laughs> I don't know, but I do remember. I, do, I remember the first significant sale I had was was a tennis bracelet of you know seven or eight thousand dollars that first Christmas. You know, I was wow. there for a year or two. Yeah, I could tell you, or excuse me, a month or two, and I could tell you right now if I have a new employee and they sell a seven or eight thousand dollar tennis bracelet, still, that's super s- impressive. Still yeah. a big deal. You yeah. know, uh, so. It taught me a lot. Part of that probably was, I think I already came to that situation with being able to talk to adults, uh, maybe a little bit better than than average average. for the average teenager because there's such an age spread between my siblings and I Mm -hmm. that it, when my, when my family would come down from Michigan or from, uh, from down South or whatever, it was really just me and the adults, you know, Mm -hmm. and I would, I would have time with them. And uh, looking back as a child, that's some of the stuff that I, that I cherish the most that I, I do feel kind of hate, helped help to shape my my personality a little bit, good or bad, you know. And so you started at fifteen. Mm-hmm. When did you have the opportunity to buy 
or how does 16, that go? 16. 16. It was, it was kind were, of a hostile takeover. This is it. Seriously. Yeah. No, um, I, I'm lucky enough to, uh, Jack Lewis Jewelers is in, for those of you who don't know, is in Bloomington, Illinois. And Bloomington, it's actually uh, Bloomington Normal, as Jonathan knows, because mm-hmm. he's come to visit me. And I've I taken, have. I have taken your husband out to eat in Normal, Illinois. Normal. Normal, it's Illinois. A it's, it's a place. normal. In, in Bloomington Normal, I grew up in Normal, went to school in Bloomington. Jack Lewis is in Bloomington, but they're twin cities, if mm-hmm. you will. And uh, I went to school. When it was time after I graduated Central Catholic, I was able to go to my local university, which is Illinois State, which is in Normal, the Illinois Go Redbirds. And I went there with the intention of getting a business degree of some sort. And I did. I ended up uh, majoring in marketing. But the nice thing was, and one of the reasons I actually, Jack Lewis was one of the reasons I chose to go to Illinois State and stay in my hometown because I knew I had this pretty steady job. I worked for a good man. Uh, Not Jack Lewis at that time. I worked for the second owner named John Woolwind, who had bought the store for Mr. Lewis in the early 90s. I was there for that transition. So I technically worked for Mr. Lewis as well. Um, And I was able to work all through college. I was really involved. Shocking to you, I know that I was involved in some social things at at the university. (laughs) I was, I was, I was president of my fraternity. I know. Wow. Yeah. 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 I was president of my fraternity. I was, I served on the uh, interfraternity. I was an ATO. Okay. I'm tried out. Oh, fight out. Oh, fight out. I was president. She was president. Yeah. I was definitely. And and I will tell you this. I will tell you this. I look back as being president. I think being president of a fraternity. Especially in those days when there was still kind of partying that went on uh-huh. in, in the house. Uh, being president of the fraternity maybe shaped me, that one year maybe shaped me more to do leadership capabilities down the road than anything else yeah. that I ever did. I for totally sure. agree with you because you have to learn how to work with different personalities, totally. especially with like an all female group. Mm. In my experience, you have to, you really have to work at including everybody, making sure everybody feels validated and heard. heard. Yeah. And and I, I totally 100% agree that, that that helped my leadership skills and is still currently what I use and what I lean back on today. It was really a miserable year, too, yeah. because, <laughs> because I had to fight them on everything because I was the sober kid, yeah. right? I literally, I mean this literally, I never drank in college, not yeah. once. I was the, the kid at parties with a Mountain Dew. Yeah. And, wow. and it's, I think, it's, I swear it's one of the reasons they elected me president so I could talk to the cops if they came to our party. <laughs> <soon. laughs> Might as well make you the, the, the spokesman. And I was. But, and the, I, but I'm sober. I'm sober. I'm the president and sober. Yeah. 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 It, we, things never got like that crazy with yeah. us, but it was, it was more keeping, you know, other young men. In, in line and, and, and the legacy, and the legacy of your yeah. fraternity and sorority. I mean, as adults, we look back on it and you, you know, we kind of see it through the, yeah. the lens of our adulthood, but it's, it's an, it was, it's an important part of my legacy. I look back at all these things, right? Yeah. Like yeah, all the high school stuff. and then working at Jack Lewis in high school. And yeah. these were all important stepping stones to, st- to shape me into who I am. But before I did that job, I talked to, I went golfing that year, the summer in between before I was president. I went uh, golfing with a friend of mine. Uh, who was, who had been president of the local Sigma, Sigma Chi chapter, actually at a, at a neighboring university. And he said to me, I must have been on like the fifth or sixth hole. And he said, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you something that I wish somebody had told me when I, before I had been president. And he said, if you leave that job with as many friends as you went into it with, then you failed. Oh my gosh. 
And I still to this day It's like the truth. And his it's name, so the truth. But his name his name was Dave Weaver and he actually passed away, I don't know, maybe seven or eight years ago. And um, I think about that. I still get chills about that because it's bigger than just John Carter being president of Alpha Tau Omega. That is true of life. Yeah. It is yeah. true of leadership that sometimes you can't you can't always be your your point about everybody needs to be heard and yeah. listened to. Sometimes that can't be the case because mm-hmm. there is sometimes a definitive right and wrong way to do things. And that year taught me that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I will tell you what, if his saying rang true, I was the most successful person to ever hold a position on the planet. Cause <laughs> I no still, <laughs> I didn't, I still, honestly, to this day, I, I looked back, I went into that role with really four really good friends that I was friends with in that fraternity. And I left that role with just those four friends. Mm-hmm. I really still to this day don't, not that I'm not social with them or yeah, anything, sure. but I, I, there, there was a lot of alienation that, that happened that year yeah, because of, because of the difficult stance that I had to do. And 44 year old me still to this day looks back and said, you did the right thing for those young men. Yeah. And I'm proud of that. You yeah. Know? You made the, you, you may not have made more friends, but you made the fraternity stronger. That's it. Yeah. yeah. And that's way more important to make the organization stronger than a couple of people. That's it. And it's a, and it's a <clears throat> business lesson now. It's a life lesson with, with, uh, even with my role with AGS that sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes you have to give people answers that they, that they don't want to hear. And I'm doing, look, we do these roles. You do what you do because you love your trade. You do what you do because you love your, your family's business, the legacy that, that it leaves for you. But, um, you also believe in what you do and it's important for you probably to know that it's going to be around after you. Yeah. And, um, that's something that I learned I, as a 21 year old, uh, kid leading some people that, you know, I think maybe didn't want to be led, but, uh, I still look back at, at that. So way longer explanation probably than you that's had asked we for. Went down the you went down that rabbit hole. That kind of felt like therapy, to be honest with you. Tunnel. I'm glad we got it all out. <laughs> and it was a cleansing thing for mm-hmm. me, too, because I left the presidency with very few friends as well. Right. Le- definitely less than you went in with. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. So, yes, we did. But the friends that you little... took out of that are your lifelong friends from your sorority. Yeah. And that and that and that's what you remember. And yeah. still, you know, to my to this day, those, those four, four guys are, you know, brothers. And true brothers. Yeah. And, and so, um, so I worked all through college mm-hmm. working for, uh, John at Jack Lewis. He was very flexible with my schedule. Um, at one point I was even then, I actually even then had a paid position with the university through the office of student life, which, which oversaw the Greek system. And he was very flexible, allowed me to do that. Kind of knew, I think that I needed some of that shaping that was outside of the industry and never really had any plans to do any sort of ownership takeover at Jack Lewis. And then remember my role had transitioned as a bit, as a, as a watch connoisseur or, mm-hmm. or a brand ambassador for certain brands that we had at that time. One of those brands was a, was a company that you may or may not remember called Maurice Lacroix. Oh yeah, for yeah, sure. Still around to yep. this day, um, changed identity and hands, uh, since then. But, um, I was the buyer and kind of organized that line and, and the other lines that we had at the time as well. I was a semester away from graduation. I did like the four and a half year plan mm-hmm. because I worked so much. I, yeah. you know, I was working full time most like of the time. Now, it's like That's kind of years. standard yeah. five years. It's standard. It's like I even said to, I think I even told my dad at one point, I said, Dad, I can graduate in five years or I can probably flunk, flunk out and, and try to do it in four. Mm-hmm. And he was. Yeah, take time. Told me, my dad's it's the best like, better, to do, pay, a, better to do it right. Yeah. 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 And I was in no hurry to leave it. <laughs> yeah. 
to be honest with you. Great time. I, I enjoy. I, I thoroughly like, enjoy can I go college. Back to college. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Wouldn't it be nice to go back to college and you know kind of make the salary that you can make yeah. as an adult, but just do college? Yeah. Just yeah. Do college. Someday. Someday. Um, I was doing that position with the uh, Greek system, and my the old owner of Jack Lewis got a phone call from a man named Bob Siragusa, who is the president of Maurice Lacroix. And Bob called John, and he said, um, I'd like to speak with John Carter. And John said, why, what did he do? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. That's your Thanks. first first thought, by the way. Remember, I was a good kid. Yeah. And uh, he said, no, no, I want to I wanna interview Carter for a job. And so one thing led to another. Bob hired me before I graduated college. Uh, didn't matter. I, you know, I, but I was a semester away. So I just figured out a way. He hired me to be a, the, uh, Midwest, uh, representative for Maurice Lacroix. I covered 13 states as a 24 year old. And then as I would travel five days a week, I finished the, I only had one class to finish. Ironically, it was English 101, like the most basic <laughs> class, which worked great because yeah. I could, you know, he could, I could just like write papers and I'm, I'm a, I'm a fairly decent writer. So I could write the papers during, on, you know, during the weekend and submit them on the, on the weekend or whatever. And I passed that with flying color. So I eventually received my degree, but I did that while I worked uh, in a career now. Still stayed in Bloomington for a couple of years. And then I did that. And so that time on the road, again, all these little stepping stones that teach you things along the way. I always say that those five years that I spent with Maurice Lacroix were kind of my um, real education into the, the industry because mm-hmm. I covered such a broad area and I was on my own. Yeah. And it was a lot of I was 100% commission at yep. the time. Yeah. And that can be scary. Totally scary. Yeah. Yeah. Totally scary. And and um, my boss lives in Los Angeles. I'm in Illinois. Mm-hmm. I would talk to him on the phone maybe once a week, maybe once a month, just depended what was going on. And I would see him a few times a year at trade shows. So other than that, it was 100% on me. My parents told me years later, they said, we gave you about 50-50 of succeeding in that, that job. <laughs> well. Right? I'm like, <laughs> wow. And I, it was my dad that said it to me. And I was like, really? Yeah. And he said, yeah. He said, it's not a shot against you. No. But you're a young man. And that's a lot of responsibility to know, hey, I can't stay and, and, and hang out with my friends this week. I've got to get up on a Monday and yeah. go cultivate my territory. Right? Yeah, being a salesman. My dad was a salesman, so he understood. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you can't, you socialize with your customers, but you don't socialize with your friends at home often. Like, we, we've even found that where it's like, yeah. Our friends live all over the country. Exactly. And when you're home, it's boring. family. <laughs> well, it's, yeah. family. it's family. Yeah. At home, it's family. Because you then... don't make enough time for your local friends, do yeah. you? Yeah. No way. Yeah, it's I, really I'm hard. too busy. We're too busy. Right. Yeah. And we travel too much. Yeah. And consequentially, <clears throat> because we do that and you're in the same boat as me because you have young kids mm-hmm. and your best friends now have become people in the trade. Yeah. Right? They could be all over the world. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. They you are. see them here. This is a big, um, you, you, you two are huge believers in, in AGS Conclave. I mean, this is where a lot of my lifelong relationships with people in the industry have, have started. Um, and so he said, you know, we gave you 50, 50. And then I think this was it, the point to the conversation was he told me a few years later, how proud he was that I was able to do it. And I did well. And, uh, it's kind of a nice father son moment actually. Yeah, now yeah, that I look for back sure. And this is, this is not a podcast. This is like therapy here. You guys yeah, are you know, really totally, helping you out. You we'll really charge are. you after this. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get an invoice. <laughs> we'll I'll get a, a invoice. <laughs> I am quite sure. The Breckin and Farnsworth therapy. <laughs> 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 and so, um, I did that. 
uh, for five years. And, and Bob, looking back on, on, on another influence in my life, that was, um, Bob was, Bob was like a father figure to me. I'm, I've been blessed to have a really good mentors in this trade and all of them are, were kind of fatherly to me where mm-hmm. he wanted me to do well. He gave me the freedom. Again, he gave me enough rope and he just let me run my territory the way that I wanted to. And it was up to me to eke a living out of those 13 states. And I, if I was writing orders or wasn't writing, he'd call me and coach me and, and things like that. But he gave me the ultimate freedom to open who I wanted to open, to do, close who I wanted to close. To, uh, it was, it was, it was really, uh, it was really learning. It was trial by fire. Mm-hmm. So, and so that went on for five years mm-hmm. and then you went where, uh, in 2002, I had received a phone call from John Woolman, who I said was the previous mm-hmm. owner of Jack Lewis. And he called me and, and there had been an opportunity that had opened up back at Jack Lewis, um, where kind of the next heir apparent was, was not there anymore. And, he called me at the time, knowing that I was very happy with where I was, saying, do you know anybody who is looking to be a manager? I said, John, literally every jewelry store is looking for managers always. Mm-hmm. So, no, I don't. Yeah. Because the good ones that I knew were, of course, happy where they were. Happy where they were. That's why yeah. they were – and they were well taken care of and, mm-hmm. and yeah. all the other things that go along with that. And that was it. I don't know. We had talked for a half hour. I just counseled him through it, you know, because it was it was a change in his business and it was, I'm sure, quite scary. And I don't know, maybe a day or two went by and I called him and I said, I think I'd kind of like to be considered for that job. I was living in Chicago at that time, managing my ter- territory because that was an easiest, easier place for yeah, me. Yeah, it was to a little more central. And he said, well, I don't know. Why don't you come down and we'll talk about it. And I had a lot to learn. You know, about yeah. just management and running a company, being a, being a rep on your own is one thing, but managing other people is different, is totally different. And I didn't know different at, challenges. at that point, I'm 28, 29, yeah. didn't really know much about that. Didn't know about marketing or even honestly, I mean, I knew about selling diamonds, but I didn't know about buying diamonds or jewelry. And so I came back in 2002, uh, as a, uh, small partner in the business at that time with a plan to buy the business in 10 years. Did that slowly got better? I think it. My trade learned different things. Switched over kind of from more of a uh, watch salesperson mentality to more big picture, focusing obviously significantly more on diamonds and, mm-hmm. and and things like that. We did our. We ended up doing our buyout in eight and a half years, and so uh, in 2011, I bought the business from John. That's the rest is history. The rest is history. Yeah. Now tying into AGS. Yeah. When did you first become involved in AGS? I remember I attended my first Oh, this is this is actually kind of a funny story. So, I don't know, 2004, 2005, we had a um a new we hired a new goldsmith that came from some other business and we had at that time we would run an ad when we would get a new employee in the paper saying, "Please welcome so and so," and then we would put their credentials. Well, we ended up using AGS credentials behind his name because he was an AGS accredited professional at his previous job, but we weren't a, an AGS retailer at that time. So, oh yeah, and we didn't allowed. we didn't even we didn't even think about, about it. it sure, yeah. sure, yeah. If you're not an AGS member, you don't realize that that's not allowed. Yeah, and so somebody must have complained Reported and submitted you. it. Wow. <laughs> wow. And Ruth, who was CEO at the time, called John 
and said, uh, no, it wasn't. Yeah, I don't know. I think it was Ruth, but uh, said, hey, you know, you did this. Got a cease and desist for obvious reasons. He said, oh, I am so sorry. Had no idea. Didn't know. And then the conversation said, well, why aren't you an AGS member? And he said, well, I don't know. And then so that led to the conversation, which, of course, led to us joining. And maybe the next year, my very first conclave was in Orlando. And I don't even know that I could tell you what year that was. I want to say 06, Mm -hmm. maybe. And from the beginning... I was just like, these are the people that I want to be around. And I don't mean that as elitist. I just meant as, because there are all sorts of levels of yeah. retailers within AGS. I mean, it was a community of, there are definitely larger, more successful stores that we can, or, or suppliers that we can all aspire to be like. Um, but for me, it was just meeting these people that kind of really, as a new person, they, they sort of embraced I felt, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty good at making friends, but yeah, yeah. You're very but, social. Yeah. But I, I think even without that, I think it just found it to be a nurturing group because the seminars and things that you attend here, it's, it's, it's like, like I say all the time, the, the beauty of conclave is that it's not centered around a trade show. You can just yeah. go have a conversation with somebody at the bar or in there's the hallway. No yeah. There's no stress. And it, and we minimize that sometimes yeah. for you. That's stress for, for suppliers as yeah. well. Well, I was telling Jonathan when we were sitting in our opening session luncheon today, and I was looking around, and I said, this feels like summer camp for adults. I mean, but in a good way, because I look around and I see familiar faces, and I see new friends that I'm going to make, and we're all like-minded, and we're all excited, and we're all here to learn and have fun. That's it. And and it's And make each other better. Yeah. Yeah. And it's my adult summer camp. I guess it's spring camp, but I get to come and learn, and I think... Uh, especially this morning, I got to go to one of the leadership yeah. sessions and how that reinvigorates you. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm not doing this right. Yes, I can make this change and and improve uh, my business or my life or just my emotional well being. Yeah, and it's kind of it. It is kind of a refresher every year. You get a, a breath of fresh air when you come to Conclave. Yeah, you leave here. Go ahead, Jonathan. You yeah, no, I, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you leave Conclave and you kind of have this, I always have this funk about me after I leave. Like, oh man, I, like it's depressing. It's like yeah. That's why we have the hashtag I crave Conclave because yeah. it actually kind of, you miss it. You yeah. miss being around that and, and just having no, no particular agenda other than, and I really think that the secret to it is not to give, you know, I don't want your, I don't want this to be a complete plug for AGS, but clearly I believe in the mission, but really at the heart of what AGS stands for, uh, you know, many people don't know that we have the same founder as GIA, right? Yeah. Robert Shipley founded GIA in 1931. And within three years, he founded AGS. He saw the importance for vo- both organizations, mm-hmm. GIA clearly for education. And so, and so people would become better at, at their, at their trade, which was a very controversial topic at the time. Which knowledge, which, which, yeah, knowledge, knowledge side. Knowledge was very was very uh, controversial because he would go into a store, and he would have a book, you know, his courses that he developed, and he would be at the counter and he would be talking to a young um, aspiring jewelry store owner who was the second or third generation in his business. And this is called the 1930s, right? And he would get the young man all fired up, right? And the the young man would walk away, and the father would come over and he would say, "You're wasting your time. We're not going to buy that." And he would say, "Well, why?" And he said, "Because." I don't want him to know more than me. <gasps> he got that. This is in, uh, in the 30s. This is in the 30s. This is in a, a book that was written by GIA a, a few years ago. 
And, uh, it was, it was also, he would go into stores and, and jewelry store owners at that time would be offended for him to imply that there were things about gemstones that they didn't, they didn't know. know. That was very common. That was his most common objection. So now think about the importance behind him founding an organization and the, and the resentment and the ultimate fight mm-hmm. that he received to do that. Then he said, okay, now we have all these people that are set up that have committed to this, that want to be better, that have admitted that there are things that they don't know, which is a very different concept for how we are today. And this is thanks to him because now we're all striving for education. We want to be, you know, once we get our GGs, we're all kind of depressed, right? We we want to go back and get a little bit more. We want to learn a little bit more, which is why we come to Conclave. And, And then within a few years, he knew that now he needed a network of retailers mainly retailers at that time and suppliers eventually that were committed to a code of ethics Mm -hmm. and to protect the consumer. Cause he has this wonderful quote of even the most honest retailer can deceive the public through lack of education. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that quote. That's it's, it's yeah. So true. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, and, and, and so it's that because I go through that whole, not, you guys want the history lesson or not, but I go through that whole diatribe because that's at the nature, that's at the heart of what conclave is, yep. right? Because you have to ascribe to, to consumer protection amongst all things to be a member of this society. And the people that are committed to that um, live that here. Mm-hmm. This is the place where you, where you really see that come to fruition. Yeah. And it's also one of those things that, as I've, as I've said before here at conclave that we get, kind of in this, we get pigeonholed into thinking that, especially as retailers, not necessarily as suppliers, but we think we should have a territorial exclusive on all things that we do, you know, whether (laughs) it's a jewelry line (laughs) or an affiliation in a buying group. And they want to, they want to, we want to ascribe the same parameters to, to the American gem society as those things. And this organization should always be above that. You should want every yeah, retailer and every supplier to be a member of this group. To be held to the same standards as you are. Correct. That's that's what you ask for in any business, and that's what people are worried about. Competition is undercutting them, or underselling them, or or making false statements to their customers, or which that's all against the AGS policy. So right. therefore, good competition just makes everyone better. Yeah, healthy competition is key. Is key one hundred percent. Yeah, and, and I, I one of the things that I. I used to say when I was on the road was I was, I used to remember I said my education came when I was on the road because I would, I would kind of see that the one thing that stood out to me that retailers did consistently that was wrong is they were too worried about what the retailer 19 towns away was doing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's like, stop focusing on them and start focusing on yourself. Stop it. Just stop. Well, that's what, I mean, we talk about this with Frank too. And it's, you can sometimes say, oh, you know, so-and-so manufacturer is doing this or they just did this. And it's no, you just do you, you do you you the best of your ability right? and everything's going to work out. That's right. So that's kind of what we've decided to do. We just do us. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys do it well because you've, you've, you've created this really cool, um, approach that's that's fresh and more youthful i I think for for colored stones in general i think that your 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 company in the last several years has really just done a nice job of you guys make color refreshing oh thank you thank you yeah Yeah. i mean you're true gem nerds you know we are we 
we love gemstones and we love what we do. And I'm like you, I wasn't born into this business. No, I had no. to, I had to learn it. And I felt for the first few years I was in the industry, I had to prove that I was worth it. Yeah. Like I had to prove myself to everyone around me. So I went to GIA. More to yourself. Really. More to myself. It was, it, a, it was it, a personal it, thing, but yeah. I, so I identified the most gemstones ever. I broke the record. I beat Nathan Renfro. Wow. I have since been beaten. Wow. Yeah. But I, I did it. And then, you know, I came here and my father-in-law, Frank, said, why don't you help me with product development? And I love jewelry and I love jewelry design, but I didn't think I was a designer. I'm not yeah. a designer. Yeah. And so then I, I, I just started doing it and I had to prove to myself that I could do it. And the more confident I became. Own it. I owned it and the, yeah. and my pieces sold and I would make pieces for me and then Jonathan would sell them right, right. off of me. And it's way to go. Job. Way to go, <laughs> jerk. Jonathan, I had that for a <laughs> like, These are called good problems. Yeah. 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 The pieces that she loves the most are the easiest ones for me to sell. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just, just the way it is. And so that's why I said, keep making what you love. And you know, my, sometimes we'll have arguments with my dad, like, Oh, that's too expensive. Or that's this, or that's that. And I, and, and finally he said, He's now at the point where like just do what you want, <laughs> right? Just do what you want because it's obviously working. Like it pay, people, pays to have a wife with good taste in this yeah, case too. Yeah, you know, your designs are great. So yeah, yeah, and that's that's really worked out in in our in our relationship. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I think we've learned too from Conclave has taught that as well. Is is that be open to new ideas, be open to looking at things differently and changing what the business is. Because like you said, in the last few years, we're a much different company than we were five years ago. Right. Yeah. Yeah, like it's, for sure. It's like Me too. The, the parlay, yeah, the parlay <laughs> today is not the parlay of five years ago. Well, and it doesn't mean that in the last five years we haven't fallen flat on our face numerous. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> because yeah. we have made some ugly jewelry. Oh yeah, as oh, have, boy. yeah, everybody has. Everybody has. <laughs> but we we learn from it. This doesn't work because of this. This doesn't work because of that. And we kind of just are constantly curating yourself right. and your business to to become who well, you are. And I think conclave is a refresher course. And also it, it, it leads you in a direction you want to go. It, yeah. it, you look inside yourself a lot at conclave. Maybe that's why right. I feel this is a therapy session yeah. because even in, in all the courses I'm looking inside myself saying, well, what can I do? How can I change? How can I grow my business through my choices and my actions yeah. and my, and my emotions? Right. And you, t- you talk about the concept of mentorship, right? Mm-hmm. And your dad is a great example of this because somebody I remember years ago, I think I've been a CGA now for like 10 years and it was such a big deal for me to get my CGA. Remember, we went from not being a member, like, why are you running using our credentials to all of a sudden, why aren't you a member? And now I'm getting my CGA yeah. a few years later. And it was such a big deal. And John was so supportive of me getting my CGA that we invited Ruth to come from Las Vegas and we had a CGA party in our store and wow. and Ruth awesome. came. Oh, that's awesome. That's a big CEO of AGS came to my CGA party. And during the party, somebody asked me at that time, and I want all the the other GGs and CGAs and CGs and and RJs and everybody else out there to think about this question. Somebody said, especially if you've grown up in your business, mm-hmm. they said, "How much did it cost for you to get your gemological accreditation?" And do you know, I just sat there, this is at my party. I just sat there and I kind of looked at the person like, I literally have no idea. And do you know why I had no idea? Yeah. Because John paid for it all along the way. 
And some businesses will do that. Some businesses that don't. And it's fine if you work for one that doesn't because it is truly an investment in you either way. And you to do it in yourself is more than worth it. And I said, I think during my remarks that night to people was that one of the most significant things that he did for me as a mentor was that he let me make mistakes with his money. And, and my dad's done the same your thing. Your dad for me. does the same thing every day. Yeah. Now, he also lets you make successes with his sure. money. Mm-hmm. And that's that's good too. But you have to have somebody that is that it doesn't hold those mistakes over your head. You have to be afraid right. not afraid to abandon a bad plan. <laughs> Melt it and forget it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately we're in a business that you can do that, right? Because yeah. that is gonna happen. I've we've all been there and, and made those pieces or bought mm-hmm. those pieces that, that or had, done that advertising out. plan that just fell flat on yeah. its face or threw the big party that we didn't advertise correctly or Correct. whatever you know, whatever those those things are. There are lots of chances to screw up mm-hmm. in, yes. this, in this trade. Yes. And to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, so for our listeners out there that are that are in the trade, I mean, for consumers, you, there's not a lot for them to get involved in AGS. But for those of yep. those listeners that are out there that are in the trade and aren't don't don't know about AGS, haven't yep. been a part of it, how would you tell them to get involved? Well, at first I would address the people that aren't in the trade because yeah, the American Gem Society is universal. Remember, the AG, AGS was created for you right because and it's and and almost he was you know robert shipley and his wife beatrice by the way who is not well known enough and i mm-hmm. encourage you to do some research on her we could have a podcast on her yeah that'd be cool uh, and, and she really is kind of an unsung hero of of our of our industry and uh because she was uh, a lot of the driving force behind what made him successful uh but Remember what, why the Shipleys did what they did because there was, uh, ignorance in the trade and that wasn't being passed along to the consumer. Now, fast forward 85 years to 2019 and it's even more essential because now we're in an environment where our young consumers that come to us to say, just to use an example, to buy an engagement ring, right? Yeah. They think that they can be an expert on, on things that they can Google. And, mm-hmm. and the, and the, the realm of jewelry does not apply itself to, to, to consumerism in this modern age because while what we do isn't necessarily rocket science, it is, does in fact take education and, and experience, and experience. a to lot know of experience, doing. colored stones, even more so. Yeah. Um, so this organization and the Gemological Institute of America were both created with those concepts in mind to protect you consumers because and so my the reason why i address them first is because i think it's important to to look for some when i ask my customers move out of my community fairly regularly regularly Mm -hmm. and sometimes back in and they'll say i'm moving to portland how do i find somebody that i know that i can trust well yeah, here, let me look up on the AGS. Yeah. Let's go on the American Gem yeah. Society r- registry. And, uh, Which is AGS.org, and then you can do find, find a jeweler. A, find a jeweler or find an appraiser. Also, yeah. another thing is is that the, the AGS is is also focused on, on, on appraisals quite heavily, and more so than I think any other organization on, on truly evaluating your pieces for the right reason. Right. And that's one of the first things that they key in on is what are you looking, why are you getting this appraisal, which we could do a whole another podcast about appraisals and the different mm-hmm. ways and all that. We can get into that another time. But that's one of the things that I, that I really found interesting because that's one of the first questions I always get from my friends and where do I get appraised? And so that's the other place that, you know, go to the AGS website and find a, find a certified 
appraiser. That's right. Yeah. And because we have the best appraisers in, in the industry, this, the, the certified gemologist appraiser title of which I think there are less than 400 in the world, right. Uh, which is our highest designation, uh, our, you know, those are the most qualified appraisers in, in, in America that you can, that you can find. Now, I don't know if you know this, mm-hmm. Jonathan and I are probably AGS's newest title holders. What? Yeah. Yeah. I passed the way course Monday. Congratulate. Woo! Yeah, I passed. Do you guys have special effects on this podcast, <laughs> or is this good? Do I have to do this? Yeah. 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 All, right. All right. And good. I passed on Tuesday. Nice. So I haven't even been, I haven't even held a title Jonathan, for a week, a week yet. As CSAs? No. We are RJs? Uh, RJs. Uh, RS. RSs. RSs, right? Registered suppliers. suppliers. Okay, and we good. And have to wait a year, and then we and then become CG. But Jonathan and I, newest AGS. Congratulations. Proud And, um... We just want to thank you so much for taking the time yeah. out of your day. Thank you for a having whole me. hour out of your No, <laughs> please. You like, want to keep going? I got more time for you guys. This please. is fun. This is my favorite part of the week with Jonathan just going down into our basement at the mm-hmm. building and just shooting the shit. It's got to be like your time stuff. to decompress, right? I mean, you it talk is. about therapy. It's got to be your chance. You probably have things that come what? out in those talks that you didn't know were going on in your own business. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And that, and it's and it's the time for us to talk about what we really love and to remember that passion that we have for gemstones and ultimately what what we do. Yeah. And I mean, that's I think one of the most one of the best parts of it is is that we get to connect together as friends for what we truly as love. partners for what we truly yeah. love. 100%. Yeah. yeah. And that that's um it's got to really be nice to do a podcast with your spouse, you know, <laughs> it's fine because, because it really, it does. I mean, I, I listen to, to what you do and just, even just this conversation, which, you know, next time, maybe if we're going to do this, let's have a couch or something like that. that yeah. I, can, I can lay on and just, you know, let it all out. But Chase Lounge. yeah, I, I, th- I see real value in that because, um, it's 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 hard enough to to raise kids and work a business and then do the, both of those things together all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure. I mean, everybody has appreciated your passion and the success that you all have seen, and really just kind of the fun that you bring this topic. I love that we can just call each other gem nerds and junkies and dorks and stuff like that, you yeah. know. And we yeah. all just celebrate it. It is what we are. Yeah, it's yeah. what we love. It's uh, last thing because this remind, reminds me of your podcast when I was in Tucson. This, this year, I remember I specifically went this year to buy, I didn't buy a lot for the store in terms of stock. I mean, you know, I buy exotic stuff like spinel and tourmaline mm-hmm. and things like that and stuff that really makes, makes me happy that we do pretty well with. But, um, I bought a bunch of mineral specimens this time just for, for me, it's more for like, um, I use them as backdrops for Instagram photos. Yeah, and, and so do we. Like that. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah. Love it. So I even had you know this whole like tool chest full of these things that are just little slabs and stuff like that. Nothing of any you know, extreme value. Just things yeah. that are beautiful yeah. and cool. And I was at this booth in Tucson this year from this gentleman I've bought things over the you know the last dozen years or so. He had this I don't know this bright kind of sparkly orange mineral specimen up in a, in a little cabinet, and I said, "Can I see that?" Uh-huh. And they pulled it out and I put it in my hand and I thought, man. And I said, the first thing I said was, man, that feels nice. Yeah. It just felt nice. And I don't even mean it metaphysically. I just mean, you know, it just felt nice in my hand. Not just weight. I don't know. It just made me feel good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I looked at it. It was too expensive for what it was. And I was like, I'm for <laughs> Instagram yeah. backdrop. I'm not, yeah. I can spend like nine hundred dollars. Yeah, you're not a you're not you're not a yeah a mineral collector. No, 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 not for that. And so I said, okay, thank you very much. And I, I put it back, and uh, 
I gave it to the lady and I said, here you go. And so, I don't know, I got to do some other things at this booth. And I looked back and maybe about eight or nine minutes later, I looked over and she was still holding it. And I said, you're still holding that mineral that I gave you back. And she just looked very surprised. And she said, all she said to me was, you're right. That really does feel nice. (laughs) What was it? I don't know. And I still, it's, it's one of those boring. Tucson yeah. buys that I passed on that I will probably always feel Remember? a little sad about that I didn't do it. Yeah. Cause whatever it was, it was one of those things. It's one of, and that's what gemstones are to me, right? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. you, you. I get that a lot with opals. Right. That's it's your the, thing. That's my thing is, is yeah. that I hold certain opals and it's like, I don't want to put them you down. You don't want to put them down because that's your. Or it hurts your heart when they leave. Right. Yeah. That can happen too. It yeah. happens too. Like there's this piece we have, we call it the mustache hmm. or a boomerang. And we sold it last year at, at the luxury show. And I was, it was a man who saw it at the Tucson Gem Show and thought about it and for, the, for the next four or five months. And, and then came back came to our booth in Vegas specifically for that one stone, which. And bought it. And bought, and bought it. Because he loved it. Like he, he had dreams it. about it. But it's the same. Yeah. But I didn't design anything for it because it almost scared me. It yeah. scared me to design something for it. And so it I couldn't was, be as beautiful as the stone. Yeah. yeah. I was happy. It's so special the way it is. I was so happy to see it go. Because to I someone that loved it, because it took it off it. her thing to not sad, have to change it. But I didn't have to change it. I said, show me what you do with it. Well, he came back to us at Tucson, and he said, I've been thinking about this, and I can't, I can't, oh, I can't mount it. Brain freeze. I can't, no, he's like, I can't mount it. I can't it's just, it. I, I can't mount it. It's like, I, I've showed it to all my customers, and none Everyone of my customers can get, it, but loves it, but they can't wrap their head. How do you this stone? Yeah. So we, we really- We took it back. We love this stone. It'll it'll just yeah, come back, and it's in your private collection. No, we I Frank's like let's cut it in half and for earrings. What hurt? Yeah, no. yeah. Frank, Frank. And so we posted it on Instagram. Oh, I got to see. And so what? Should we cut it or should we not? And there were and the resounding no. Don't right. cut the stone. And yeah. he's like, fine, whatever. So it <laughs> yeah. must be a spec- It's just so beautiful. So we'll we'll see what we, I I don't know. We don't know what we're gonna. Well, do you know, and as a as a man in in this industry. Jonathan really inspired me a couple of years ago when you started to do the when you took the marijuana mint mm-hmm. uh, garnet and you you did that rub you wear that that I think you yeah, have it on have today it's yeah. a little bro brooch my bro yeah. brooch yeah. and you inspired me and you know you and I have talked about this over the years like my thing my stone is spinel all yeah. colors specifically gray spinel and so I actually mm-hmm. wore this today to show you here and I posted this on my Instagram yeah. nice. page yeah is a gray spinel. Uh, it's on the Jack Lewis Instagram page if anybody wants to see it. And it's kind of a, a square design. And we put some red spinels around it. I gave it to Jim, my, my designer, who you know. Nice. And I said, I want a piece of gray spinel to wear. And I want it as a lapel pin. It's it's something to enjoy. You know, again, it's one of these pieces that's available for sale. I, I, I'll sell it, yeah. but it makes me feel good to wear it. Exactly. And just in walking down the hallway this afternoon, somebody put, what is that? It's gray spinel. It looks purple right now. That's the beauty of gray, gray spinel. spinel. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes it looks purple. Sometimes yeah. it looks blue. And so to your point that your heart hurts, I mean, there are certain things where you get it and you're like, I kind of have to tuck that away. Yeah. I do that with weird inclusions in a diamond. Mm-hmm. I have a cushion-shaped diamond that I just can't seem to part with somehow because it has a twinned garnet inclusion in the middle of the stone where it looks like a heart (gasps) in the middle. Sweet. And if anybody out there is listening knows the ultimate rarity for a diamond to have a mineral inclusion, that's something that's not uh, black or Mm -hmm. it's not a, a... 
<coughs> excuse me, it's not a feather or, or a void in the stone. Okay. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, when you have these minerals trapped inside the stone, which could be corundum or olivine or mm-hmm. kyanite happens yeah. sometimes, um, it's less than half of a percent of the time does that ever occur. Yeah. So, it's very special. I remember the first burner crystal I saw in a diamond. And we're not diamond people, right? Mm. We're colored people, but we get big diamonds in every now and then. Yeah, but you're colored people, so the combination of the two yes. makes it super cool. When mm-hmm. I saw a red garnet inside of a diamond, I freaked out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have to buy this. And John's like, we can't. We're not buying this stone. I, we have to have this stone. It was fairly big and fairly expensive. Oh, well, yeah. That, of, you know, the, the, it's the not ones like I'm it was, about. It wasn't like a quarter carat. Uh, it wasn't like a quarter carat, you know, yeah. inexpensive stone or something. This was like yeah. a two carat something and like yeah i mean look we're not we're not made of money to go tuck like three or four carats away yeah but just know that when they're when they're in there it doesn't make the stone any more valuable (laughs) but it should yeah it makes it more special i have a breakout stone uh jonathan which just which just means a small diamond and it actually has diamonds form in octahedral shapes Mm -hmm. sometimes that's the 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 growth structure of the crystal and i have one it has an octahedral shaped cloud a perfect octahedral cloud in this in the stone, wow. which I've never seen before. That's yeah, I've seen pictures like in the GIA yep. book, book. Yeah, but wow, pretty rare occurrence. Yeah, That's I just cool. just found it in some small stones that I had in in the back. And, Happened. Oh, got to keep that, you know, because yeah. yeah. that's just special. And truly, you have to be a gem junkie or a gem nerd or, or whatever yeah. to to see those things, and your heart stops. Yeah. Well, thank you for being a Gem Junkie fan. Ah, uh, yeah. And thank Love you, you guys for do. being a Gem Junkie yourself. Thank you. And if you want to see what Jonathan and I do in our real life, you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Parlay Gems. Uh, what is your store's Instagram page? Jack Lewis Jewelers, all one word. And website? Uh, JackLewisJewelers.com. There we go. Yep. And then AGS.org if you want to learn more about the American Gem, Gem Society. Society. If you've never been to a conclave... They're awesome. And if you're, if the firm you work for and you're in the industry isn't a member of AGS, definitely take a look and see what it's all about. And it's, uh, and, and if you want to get in touch, you know, get on the AGS.org or contact one of us and we'd be happy to reach out and tell you more about it and get you involved. Yeah. Thanks for what you guys do for the American Gem Society. It's really important and crucial to our mission. So oh, thank right. you. Thank you. And thank you guys for listening and we'll catch you later next week. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks everybody.